Hello, and welcome to the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast, brought to you by the North Carolina Sustainable Energy Association. I'm your host, Matt Abel. Hello, Squeaky Clean listeners. Welcome to the 86th episode of the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast, where we bring you the latest in North Carolina clean energy news, policy, and more every two weeks. On today's episode, we had the opportunity to sit down with the CEO of one of North Carolina's largest utility-scale solar companies helping to deploy massive amounts of solar all across the country, but with roots right here in our state, dating back to the good old 5-megawatt QF project days. In our conversation, we talk about the keys to success for a company of their scale, how they've seen the market change over the past five to 10 years, and where they expect to see things to go in the future. At this point in the episode, I usually provide a few short updates about news and events, but we're going to forego that to make sure we have enough time to cover the fascinating conversation I had with this leader in clean energy. And for additional background, the conversation is a live recording from Pinegate Renewables internal staff conference out in Nashville, where their CEO and I had a chance to sit down and chat in front of a live audience of Pinegate employees. And now we're sharing that conversation with you here today on the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast. Clean energy. Our guest today is the current CEO of Pinegate Renewables, one of the fastest growing energy companies in the U.S. In his role, our guest sets the strategic vision for establishing locally generated solar energy projects and oversees development, government relations, operations, marketing, and acquisitions. Before following his passion for environmental preservation, he worked in the banking and finance industry. At Pinegate, he's been able to blend financial savvy with his desire to make a difference, closing more than $5 billion in financing for solar energy projects and partnerships. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Ben Cat to the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast. Ben, welcome to the pod. Fantastic. Thanks, Matt, for having me on. All right, Ben, just to start off, so let's start talking about your own professional journeys. From square one, growing up, did you imagine that you would be working in the sustainability field and working for a company like Pinegate Renewables? Um, I can say definitively no, I think because the sustainability industry really didn't exist whenever I was a kid, right? I'm 43 years old. And so, you know, we look at one of the things that I always talk with the folks inside of our company about is really kind of how much the, our industry is really still in its very, very early stages and really early innings of the growth trajectory of where we are. Even if we look back really just a decade ago, Utility scale solar, the way that we develop, finance, and build it, didn't exist really outside of, you know, with the exception of maybe California, you really didn't see renewable energy and solar specifically getting deployed at that type of scale. And so the, when we're in the Carolinas, when we are in you know, all of the places that we're doing uh, business and that we're advancing projects, this is a new concept for a lot of those kind of territories, those utility grids, everything else. And so, you know, certainly while I did not have a dream of being a sustainability CEO uh, as a kid, I think I wanted to be the shooting guard for the Chicago Bulls, but I am a mediocre athlete at best. And so, you know, six foot mediocre athletes do not uh, get a tryout uh, with the Bulls. So 
But as I grew up, I did know that I wanted to build a company. And that was always something that was really a driving factor for me in being able to, you know, I, you know, I have worked in, you know, other industries before and have gotten to experience some of that, but really being able to, and really what we do at Pinegate in building a company together was really something that I knew that I wanted to do from an early age. So you talked about being in other industries prior to working at Pinegate. What led you to Pinegate here in North Carolina and to the role that you're currently in now? So I previously was in banking and finance, and that was for me a great learning experience, but ultimately at the end of the day, no offense to any banking and finance people who may be listening, not necessarily something that was terribly motivating for me. It was, it was very interesting. I think the, the sophistication as I continued to learn more and more about how capital markets really work was something that was actually very interesting to me. But at the end of the day, it really wasn't, what I was doing in my role wasn't actually creating anything. We weren't really building anything. We were effectively just kind of making you know, fractional percentage point profits on capital that was moving back and forth between large institutions effectively. And for me, that wasn't really, you know, that wasn't motivating. That wasn't exciting for me. After my second daughter had been born and my wife decided to leave her teaching job and stay home with the kids, I came home with the bright idea to her to leave my very stable banking and finance job uh, and go join what was effectively a very small solar development company in the Carolinas, to which God bless my wife, who actually you know, went along with that journey with me and trusted me that this was a good idea to move forward with. And that's when I actually got into the industry. And I joke with folks on our team now that if, you know, if I'm looking at the standards that we have and bringing people in and, and really the backgrounds of folks that come into our company now, I don't think at that point in time I could have gotten hired at Pinegate. I think I would have gotten passed over for somebody else who had a lot more uh, experience in the sustainability industry. But because it was such a young industry at the time and because there it was you know, being able to have some level of financial sophistication was such an advantage to be able to, to add for companies who were really in the very, very early stages of how projects get financed, how capital gets raised. I was able to come in and have and get my foot in the door at an organization that was growing and that was really kind of at the cusp of where you know, renewable energy and solar specifically in the Carolinas was starting to be deployed at scale. So do you think that your experience in the financing and banking industry lent itself well to coming in at an early stage of a utility scale solar company to help grow the company into now seemingly a, a fairly mature and continuing to grow company? So did that experience in the, the banking industry really help with your experience now? It, it did. I mean, I think it, what the big thing whenever I came into this industry, it was very much sophistication wasn't even remotely close to where we are now. It was a completely different game. And it really just came down to, could you ask for money and effectively give a justification for why someone should give it to you? And fortunately, with a, a little bit of background in this, I was able to go out and work with, but I mean, keep in mind, this is back in the, the early days of North Carolina Solar, where a five megawatt project was a big project. And we raised, I, I was speaking with, with folks about this before, we literally went to credit unions for a lot of the financings that we were doing. And that was because those were the types of lenders who you could really get their attention because these are not big projects necessarily and kind of compared to the scale that we do today. But also you needed really receptive parties who were able to you know, 
work through that with you because you were in such an early stage industry and you had to be able to go out and really work with those partners. So it gave me a lot of that background to at least justify why someone should give us the money. And then that was a, a huge kind of, and then as we continued to evolve that, the goal then was to can really look at where we thought the trajectory of the industry was going and look, comparing ourselves to kind of other parallel industries and seeing where those went and you know, really helping to you know, play that role in how that market matured and how really the industry matured. So it sounded like part of the, the reason for the transition into this space was wanting to have an impact and to build something. So what inspires you every day coming into work at Pinegate? I think the, what really inspires me the most is one, it is building what we're building together. So to your point, Matt, it's, it's saying we're not just building solar facilities. We're not just developing and financing them. We are building an organization. We are building an operating company that ultimately is going to continue to have a, an increasing impact on the energy transition. And that's, for me, that's what inspires me. It inspires me to come in here and work with all these people who are not just coming into a, you know, a job that has been done for the last 10 years and you just have to basically you know, follow the, the template and you're going to be successful. We have people all across our organization who come in in roles that didn't exist a year ago and then they're helping to form departments. They're helping to form what roles look like. They're helping to build a company from what was much smaller into one that is much larger and continues to get larger because not only do we need more people to do what we already know how to do. We need to be able to do capabilities and we need to be able to do things that we don't do today and continue to advance that. And so we're not only adding, you know, more individuals and we're not only growing just in the skill sets that we have, we're actually adding those capabilities as we do too. And that's kind of that building of a company that for me is really exciting. That's what inspires me to come in and really see how basically, you know, how strong of a team can we build together and then when building that team, we're having that impact in the energy transition. So building a team and building an organization is not an easy task uh, at all. And, but it is exciting nonetheless. But I'm sure it's not you know, all been rainbows and sunshine throughout the course of your tenure here at Pinegate. What have been some of the biggest challenges that you've had to contend with as you've grown the organization? It has definitely not been all rainbows and sunshine. And even uh, we were, as the, the company, you know, earlier today, we were reflecting on the year that was 2022 and the challenges that we faced. And as we continue to see the industry grow, I think one of the fundamental challenges that we continue to grapple with is the exact point that I was talking about before is that this is a very new industry, really, when you look at it over the, the course of an industry that is at this scale. It's very young. And so in 2022, those challenges showed up very much in supply chain. They showed up in you know, trade and other things that really throw a lot of complexities in what we do. Because at Pinegate, our business model is a renewable energy IPP. We are developing, we are financing, we're working with our partners at Blue Ridge to construct, and then we're owning and operating those solar facilities all throughout the country. And so being able to do that is an incredibly complex process, and all of these market disruptions and frankly, a lot of the growing up and those growing pains in the industry have been a big part of the kind of challenges that we've had to face because we don't have a mature supply chain in what we do. We are a large you know, solar IPP and we're gonna to continue to get bigger, but we're still a very young company. And so everyone and every player in this industry is growing rapidly to meet the demands that we all have to meet. But the challenges that come with that are, there are a lot of you know, structural and fundamental things that we need to create as an industry in order to be able to continue that growth because that growth is, you know, at times disruptive and that growth 
is very complex in an industry that has, you know, is getting more sophisticated, but needs even more sophistication as we continue to grow. So you've mentioned this a couple of times, right? That the solar industry is still young overall in comparison to a lot of other, you know, more incumbent sort of generation technologies in the, the electricity sector. But there's been a lot of changes in the industry, even in that short period of time, right? I've, I've been in this field for 10 years or so, and the, the market here in North Carolina is 180 degree difference today than what it was 10 years ago, right? We talked a little bit about those five megawatt QF projects all across the state that really led to our leadership uh, in the country to become number two in installed solar. That's not the case anymore today. You know, we see North Carolina slowly moving down the leaderboard. We're now in, I believe, fourth behind Texas and Florida. But I, I am curious from, from your perspective, how have you seen the utility scale industry grow and change since you first got into it? No, it's a, it's a, a great question. It's, and I would say that really, almost kind of getting back to your point, Matt, on a market by market basis, it changes differently in the markets that you're in. And even to the point of why North Carolina was at one point number two and has now fallen to number four behind Texas and Florida, those markets evolve in very different ways. And so on a broad level, the sophistication of our industry has, has really changed dramatically since we started doing this. It was very much a, and again, the, in the very scrappy early entrepreneurial days, the model was pretty straightforward and the opportunities to be able to expand that model beyond some regional territories were challenging. And that is why you had North Carolina become the number two leader in solar. It wasn't because North Carolina you know, was, you know, had this massive mandate to deploy solar. It was because there was a commercial model in North Carolina that was easily repeatable and a handful of entrepreneurs that were able to build companies here in the Carolinas were able to really operate inside of that commercial structure and then push North Carolina to be that you know, number two in installed capacity. And when you look at that, I mean, this is something that we look at as fundamental to Pinegate, is the policies and kind of the regulatory landscape is incredibly impactful to the growth of our business. But policies and regulations alone don't put steel in the ground and they don't get solar facilities turned on. It is the commercial models that basically evolve and can mature around what those policies are that ultimately are the ones to do it. If you're able to create a commercial model that is scalable and repeatable, you're going to have renewables grow in whatever market that you're in. So North Carolina being a very interesting example, obviously everybody's been behind California forever and probably will be. And that's because California has had, you know, was a leader in the, you know, renewables and solar specifically for a very long time. North Carolina, because of that market construct, was able to scale very rapidly. At the time, because there was a lack of sophistication in the market and how capital was raised and how developers looked at projects and how we engaged with utilities, all of these things. Because of that, North Carolina was able to grow very quickly, but then ultimately had limitations in how that market structure ultimately evolved and how you were able to actually execute within it. And the reason that you have seen North Carolina fall down that path is that as markets, as the industry has gotten more sophisticated, the dynamics of other markets have become, frankly, more fertile for the growth of an industry in being able to do that. Texas is a fantastic example. ERCOT, as we sit here today, you know, is rapidly deploying more and more and more solar. And one of the fundamental reasons for that is that ERCOT is one of the few places in the country that has a well-functioning queue 
and has a liquid power market. And those are two critical fundamental pieces to being able to see a market grow. And so ERCOT is going to have an explosion of solar and that's going to continue to happen because you have market fundamentals that allow for that to happen. If another market were to all of a sudden incorporate those same dynamics, they would see the same level of growth. How some of those markets are constrained, how interconnection queues are ultimately structured, how we're looking at those, how we're you know, structuring build out of transmission infrastructure, all of these things really dictate how those markets are going to grow. But it's very much from a regional perspective, it's far less about you know, this place you know, really wants solar and that one doesn't. It's very much a, is there a market structure in place that allows for a commercial model that's scalable? So you talk about market structure. We also talked about some of the challenges, some of the constraints, transmission, as you highlighted as well. Let's, let's flip the script a little bit. Let's talk about opportunities. So what are, what are some of the biggest opportunities that you foresee for Pine Gate Renewables moving forward, whether that's related to market structures in other states? You know, you mentioned ERCOT. Aside from just solar, we're seeing a whole lot of storage uh, being deployed in that state as well, which I, I have to imagine you foresee as an opportunity. So just overall, big picture, 40,000-foot perspective, what do you see as the biggest opportunities for Pine Gate moving forward? It is, <laughs> it's an interesting question because the opportunities are so vast in what we're doing. I was just walking you know, our, our company through this when you look at the, the math of renewables effectively. When we're looking at decarbonization targets over the next, let's call them you know, 10, 15, 20 years, depending on whose forecast you look at, you look at the electric utility sector, and right now 60% of the generation in the electric utility sector is coming from a fossil resource, primarily coal and natural gas. But we have broad decarbonization targets at several levels. We have it at kind of commercial buyers of energy. We have it at state levels. We have it you know, at federal levels. So in having those decarbonization targets, there's a lot of generation that exists today that just needs to get replaced. There's a lot of fossil generation that we are going to need to backfill behind because we need those electrons. Those electrons are critical for the operation of our grid. And then as we see the electrification of our economy continue to happen, as we electrify you know, transportation, industrial processes, everything else, we're gonna have an increasing demand. And so the opportunity is less about, hey, let's all go to ERCOT because it's really cool to go do projects there. And it's far more about how are we looking at the existing grid and how are we saying there is a huge kind of existing generation profile that needs to be replaced and being very cognizant of the fact that what we are bringing on as generation does not have the same profile as what was there before. I mean, it is, we have to acknowledge that we are an, if you're putting solar on the grid, it's an intermittent resource. And that needs to be, we need to think about that very much from a structural level. We think you need to think about that very creatively from a technology perspective, but ultimately saying we need to, if we're going to even remotely achieve any of the targets that have been out there, we have to replace that generation even before the additional generation that needs to be provided for electrification. And that's a huge task. So the opportunity is to say, how do we go into regional markets and how do we look at these things and say, there are going to be in the Southeast, we need to replace a lot of generation. How do we work with utilities to be able to do that? When we're working in ERCOT, where it is a little bit more of a kind of open market access, where we're able to go in and say, how are we able to make sure that our generation not necessarily is replacing something that was there before, but is adaptable to the changing dynamics of that grid? How are we working at stakeholder processes to have 
logical interconnection queue processes so that we can bring that on. That's where the opportunity is. The opportunity is to say, we have a ton of carbon-free electrons that need to be produced in order to get anywhere near our targets. And it's how do we go into those, market, those regional market structures and figure out ways to work with all of the other stakeholders there to ultimately be able to deliver those electrons and, and help with that energy transition. Yeah, there is a, a lot of existing uh, fossil generation in North Carolina we're going to have to replace coming up soon. As an organization that's been involved in the carbon plan proceedings here in North Carolina, and I know Pine Gate's been very involved in all of that as well, the, the commission uh, here in North Carolina ordered that the last coal-fired facilities will be retired around 2035. You know, organizations like ourselves advocated for earlier retirement of those facilities, but, but regardless, those facilities are going to be coming offline in the next 10 to 15 years. So there's going to be a lot of capacity that we're going to need to make up. And it's also interesting, too, I, I kind of want to go off on a, a side tangent here. When we talk about some of those facilities, you, you talked about replacing with solar and some of the challenges associated with, you know, intermittency and variability. But recently, you know, we saw here in North Carolina with our rolling outages that most of the issues were attributed to coal and natural gas facilities. And I think, you know, it's, it's important to note that, you know, solar tied with storage can help backfill some of that firm generation on the grid, which is really, really important for markets like the Southeast as well. So I want to go off, off script a little bit as well, because I saw a, a question come in from somebody in the audience asking about community solar. So do you foresee Pinegate ever stepping into the community solar space or creating opportunities for individuals to participate in the utility scale solar market? I think that you know we look at the community solar space and we we do have some facilities that we have built that participate in community solar programs in markets where that has come up. I think community solar is going to play an incredibly important role in the expansion of renewables on the grid. And Pinegate will, I think, as we sit here today, it doesn't necessarily align exactly with some of the capabilities that we're building out because I will we have learned this lesson in the the facilities that we have is that. The community solar commercial model is one that is very specific to the, the region that you're operating in, and it's very different than what we're doing. We're going out and negotiating power purchase agreements with you know, Fortune 50 companies who have aggressive you know, carbon-free mandates for what they're doing. That's a very different business model than going out and aggregating up homeowners who are ultimately going to be subscribing to a community solar program. But community solar programs are going to be tremendously impactful in the expansion of renewables. And it's kind of when we look at this, this is where, because the task in front of us is so kind of massive in being able to replace that generation that you were just referencing, Matt, it really comes down to, yes, we need community solar programs. We need large-scale utility solar. We need all of the opportunities and everyone contributing. We need residential solar. We need people putting panels on their roofs. We need you know, as many batteries as we can possibly get, to reference what you're saying, is to be able to firm up that generation and be able to you know, continue to adapt with the grid. But community solar, I think one of the challenges with a community solar program, and this gets down to any program that gets regulated or kind of what I would say is artificially capped in some instances at a state level, it's very challenging for growth. Even when you look at some of the more successful community solar programs throughout the country, if you look at Illinois or anywhere else, the amount of projects trying to bid into that community solar program were far outpaced by what the actual, I mean, by what the kind of artificial cap on that program was. And so if there is a demand for those you know, electrons effectively, and there are people who are willing to supply them, when you have artificial constraints on how large that opportunity can be, it's very challenging. 
And also community solar programs take years to implement and they take years to roll out and you, know, you have a lot of stakeholders who participate. And so while it's important, while we, you know, I'm supportive of anybody putting solar on anything, basically, um, I think that one of the challenges with those community solar programs is they do have those limitations around how much the states or markets or anyone else are willing to ultimately authorize to do it. And I'm much more a believer that if there's a demand and if there are buyers who are out there for that type of product, there's no reason to limit it. There's no reason that we should be doing it. We shouldn't be putting artificial caps on it. We should let anyone who can come in and make that a successful commercial model sell that product to the end users because there's not really a point in putting an artificial constraint on it. And I can say from, from the North Carolina perspective, right, uh, back in 2017, House Bill 589 authorized a community solar program in which we've seen no community solar projects, uh, no developers bid into the program because the economics were uh, so heavily in favor of the utility. And then the other, the other big challenge, right, is marketing those programs to customers. And that's, that's huge, right? Like marketing uh, to customers is a lot of work, <laughs> a lot of capacity, a lot of resources involved. So that's a whole other side of the business that you would have to talk about as well. So we were talking a little bit before we started recording about the growth of Pinegate over the past couple of years. So I, I think you had mentioned prior to the pandemic, a headcount was around 70 or 80 staff. Yeah, somewhere around there. Yeah. So what has been the key to success for Pinegate and growing to the, the size that you are now? Well, it gets back to the opportunity question, right? The opportunity is so large. Um, we recognize that early on and we're able to take advantage of that by growing our pipeline, by growing our team, by really saying we are going to need, you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer that we're not all going to turn around in 10 years and just say, you know, an entire region of the country just decided, you know, we're just good with, you know, kicking a bunch of carbon into the atmosphere, right? Ever, we're going to need renewables. We're going to need carbon-free resources everywhere. And so we recognize that early on, and this is something that I talk about with our development and commercial teams, is that I think that one of the real shifts that, that we recognized at Pinegate over the last handful of years is the question that we were answering used to be where. And that was where is the next program that we think is going to work? Our example of North Carolina is a great one, right? North Carolina has a favorable kind of commercial structure with a state tax credit, with a statewide property tax abatement, with a 15-year, you know, PERPA PPA contract. All of these things that you could do in North Carolina to say, all right, here's the next, here's the next where, right? Or Illinois, as I'm referencing before, Illinois is going to have a community solar program. Everybody goes out, starts to develop projects in Illinois, drops them into a lottery. You know, let's see if you get your golden ticket, right? It's this, it's that that where concept that. We recognized what I think was, you know, with a lot of the other industry, but I think we recognized from a strategic standpoint pretty effectively, was saying the question is not where anymore, the question is how. Because we're going to need renewables, we're going to need solar, wind, storage, everything else that we can. It is a all hands on deck, you know, exercise here. We're going to need those in every market, in every region, as we, you know, have this energy transition, as we lead the decarbonization of our economy. And so where we went to work was to say, we know this is going to work everywhere. The question is, how are we going to make it work there? Not necessarily where. It's not, let's all go flood into the next place. It's every market is going to have a construct that comes together. And what we need to be able to do is take advantage of that with projects that can be there. Projects can do that to, to be able to produce those electrons. And so 
we recognized that. And then we recognized as we were scaling that up, and this is never a linear process. And so you kind of get a bunch of volume and new projects coming in, and then you don't have enough staff, and then you add that staff, and then you're kind of in this constant kind of catch up mode with everyone. But what we recognized too early on was the capabilities that we needed as an organization changed in pretty dramatically. And that was saying, as we're growing those teams, and I referenced before, is growing capabilities, it's being able to do everything else. I look at the the business model or the businesses that were successful in you know, 20, you know, 13, 2012, whatever, a decade ago, the sophistication of groups like that couldn't hang in this market for 15 minutes. And that's everybody who has really scaled up what we can do. And that's the growth. The growth was the opportunity was there. We knew that we were going to be able to go out and be successful in project executions all over the map. And we knew that we had to build up a team who were able to actually, you know, to take advantage of it. And then along with that, along with evolution of capital markets, along with evolution of technology, along with evolution of everything else, all those things come together to mean, one, you have an, an industry that has tremendous opportunity, has had tremendous opportunity, continues to have tremendous opportunity. And you have kind of teams and you have people, and this is something that I'm always humbled by, and I referenced it before when, say, I couldn't get a job at Pinegate today if I was trying to get in the industry. We have incredibly intelligent and talented people that want to come and join what we're doing, not just Pinegate, the industry at large. We have people who want to be in this industry, who want to make a difference, who are here for you know, the same reason or maybe different reasons than I am, is to build companies, to build this up, to be able to, to really you know, be, play a role in what is a monumental task in transitioning our you know, initially utility energy sector, but then ultimately energy consumption in general. And that's something that has just been a huge tailwind for us, and not just at Pinegate, but industry at large. So I think the, the key to success for, for growth of any company, right, is, is timing. So we talked about that, right? Pine Gates come in at the right time in the right markets, identifying the opportunities. But you also mentioned as well the right people. So when you look for people to recruit to the company or people that are coming in and asking to work for your company, what are the skill sets or qualities that you look for in new team members to continue to build that culture of success? Yeah, it's we're, I think that, our people and culture team and our recruiting team as a part of that have done a phenomenal job at bringing in not only people with the skill sets but the right kind of attitude and ultimately kind of fit for what we're doing. We take our, you know, our core values as a company and the culture that we have here very seriously. We're a low ego group. We are a group that has ownership and collaborates and, and really works together to get problems done. And that's been a key part of saying, we look for those capabilities. Certainly we're looking for, you know, if we're bringing somebody into our battery storage team, you know, we're looking for the technical capabilities that they need to be able to do it. Um, but we also look for, and culture fit is a, is a tremendous thing for us and finding people who are going to come in here and continue to build on the culture that we have because that's been a huge part of our success. And frankly, in a lot of instances, and this is, you know, again, growing industry, you can't just go out and find a bunch of people who can all do the roles that you're looking for. You have to develop those people internally. And that was something that we recognized early on. And it's what we do with our college recruiting programs. And it's our learning development team that is you know, instrumental in how we build this up. Actually, at the event that we are sitting at right now, the whole focus of this event is for leaders in the company to be able to cross train other people who are not necessarily in this. I mean, it's not a job part of their job description but they want to know more about our industry they want to be curious and learn more because that means that they're going to be more effective in what they do 
So for us, it was saying, we recognized early on to say, we're not going to be able to go out and just find all of these people and just put our you know, LinkedIn ads up and everybody's going to come flocking in. We have to proactively go out and find people who want to be in this industry, give them tools to learn what we do and learn how to mature, and then create that culture of career development. And so if you've got people with the right attitude, the right aptitude, and ultimately are able to come in and really you know, be a part of the team, you can build a, a really tremendous team, and it, it's something that, you know, one of the things that I'm most proud of at Pinegate. So in your time here at, at Pinegate, are there accomplishments of the team that you're particularly proud of that stand out to you? That's a hard one. Uh, we have so many. Uh, I think that we are, one of the things that I've been most proud of over the last, call it, you know, 18 months or so, is as we have gotten larger and as we have been able to be more prominently involved in, uh, as a voice in the industry, our team has done a fantastic job of taking advantage of that opportunity in being in going out and looking at complex regulatory filings and providing comments, not just you know, through trade organizations, but as Pinegate and, be, and being a leader and stepping forward. It's in how we look at the incredibly complex challenge that is solving kind of interconnection cues that at this point are very kind of bloated and are going to be challenging to actually be effective in getting projects through. It's our teams taking thoughtful approaches to how that kind of those policies need to be built out and not taking a short-sighted view of, hey, we have three projects and so if this rule breaks this way, it's better for us on a very kind of instant and micro level, but looking at it from a macro perspective and saying, we want to be deploying solar and storage in this market for decades to come, and we need to have functional policies that allow us to do it, taking that leadership system. So that's been the biggest thing for me that I've been incredibly proud of, because we are, when you operate in this industry, when you have a national footprint like we do, you still have to operate very much at a local level. You have to engage in every process that you're involved in because every market is different, just like we were talking about. And so I'm really proud of our teams in being, stepping forward, being a leader, and really being thoughtful in how we're helping to shape the markets themselves and be able to advance the initiatives that we have as an industry. And, and I can testify to that given that I'm with the North Carolina Sustainable Energy Association and Pinegate has been very active in, in our group and with other groups like SIA and helping to advance the market here locally. I know there have been a lot of challenges as it relates to transmission, as we've talked about a little bit, and other big pieces of, of policy and regulation like the carbon plan and other big pieces of policy like House Bill 951 and 589 and Pinegate has been very involved in a lot of those proceedings. And, and so I guess stepping back, knowing that North Carolina is home to a lot of different solar companies, we've built up a really, really great ecosystem of clean energy companies. There are 104,000 people that work in the clean energy sector here in North Carolina. So a lot of people in this space. We have a lot of other uh, solar companies that have a national footprint as well. And I saw a question come in that I think is related to that, which is what sets Pinegate Renewables apart from other solar companies in this space? I would say a few things. One, I think the, the way that we have been able to embrace an operating company model is instrumental to how we've been able to grow capabilities. And, and kind of saying a little bit more on that is we really view what we're doing and being able to not only develop and finance assets, but really looking at it with a long-term perspective has set us apart from the industry. And that's not because, you know, 
our view is great and somebody else's view is terrible. It's because the way that the market has evolved, and frankly, you know, this is it is a capital intensive business and being able to generate kind of upfront profits in a business like this that you have to invest you know, significant capital into growth of a company like this and growth of a, a project pipeline. We've really taken an approach of where we're looking at this as a long-term partner in all of the you know, projects that we do because we own and operate these and that's you know, our business model. And so I think that, that in, a, in a big way has set us apart at least early on. I think what we're seeing in the industry is that is very much now starting to be the preferred model for a lot of folks in what we're doing. And I think that comes through a couple of different ways. One, it's, you know, it's kind of a capital evolution. It's easier to be able to source the capital that you need for that type of business model. But you're also seeing it in a consolidation factor. You have what were kind of smaller you know, development companies that had a handful of people. In a lot of ways now are being sometimes acquired by other larger strategic players, other folks like that, who have a long-term view on wanting to own and operate assets. So I think that sets us apart. I do think, going back to the point you were making before, I do think our culture sets us apart. I think that we have been able to continue to build the foundation within the folks who are here that when we are able to attract the right talent and we're able to develop our people the right way, this is a really powerful place to be. And I think people really enjoy that and we see that in the feedback we get from our employees. So we've talked a little bit about uh, policy and regulation, so I want to go back to that point here. You mentioned that that's not the only piece to ensure your success in a market, but it is a big piece of that. And so last year, we saw the, the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act, which expanded investment tax credits for solar and other renewables. I'm curious, from your perspective, how much of a game changer or is it a game changer for Pine Gate Renewables to see the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act, and how does that change your business model, or does it? Yes, yes, and yes. The Inflation Reduction Act was, you know, when you peel back everything, far and away, the most impactful piece of climate legislation that we've ever seen passed in this country at a federal level. The, the kind of the, the core kind of headlines of it, the ITC extension, as you mentioned, is one piece, but it is a, it is but one piece. If the Inflation Reduction Act was just an ITC extension, we would largely be doing business as usual just with more transparency. And that is incredibly impactful because we are in multi-year planning cycles. We are, again, sourcing you know, hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars of capital to build these infrastructure assets and having transparency and clarity in how our markets are going to work and how our business models are going to work is critical in being able to do all of those things and be able to have a long-term planning view. So number one, the ITC extension was huge, but it's just one part. When you look at the PTC for solar, when you look at the transferability of the tax credit, when you look at incentives for domestic production, which have already incentivized billions of dollars of investment in manufacturing here in the US, and we don't even have all of the guidance on the rules yet, and we still have all of this investment coming in. This is after decades of tariff policies that literally do not work. And so, we have seen all of those things come in and seen this, basically it changes our landscape. It changes how we need to think about approaching projects. It needs how we're citing projects and the fact that we have you know, adders for energy communities and for domestic content. It changes how we are going to source materials for everything that we do. It's gonna create a tremendous amount of jobs in the manufacturing sector here in the US, which is a, a huge component of this. But it really does change, and, and we're still in the process of getting guidance. We're still in the process of finding out how all these rules are going to be interpreted by Treasury and IRS and everything else. And so 
it really, in a way, shakes up the snow globe in a very good way for us and gives us not only the long-term perspective to be able to build our business and know what that policy environment is going to look like, but it also gives us real fundamental building blocks of building up not just an industry that you know, develops, finances, and owns solar projects. It's one that has a full domestic supply chain and kind of robust industry that we're going to be building here. And so the impact is going to be tremendous. I think that no one can quite comprehend everything that's going to happen in it because we're still getting guidance on rules. We're still finding out more about it. But it is transformational for our industry. And as industry participants, we have to be, recognize that and say, all right, the rules changed. How are we going to continue to adjust our commercial models to be able to you know, to really benefit from what is going to be the long-term growth of, of the industry. And a huge part of that is, you know, the IRA. Okay, so let's, let's think hypothetically here. Let's say you have a magic wand, and you could wave that magic wand and address any one of your challenges through policy or regulation in the future. What sort of doors would you be able to knock down, or would you envision that you could knock down with policy passed at the federal level? Transmission and interconnection queues. That is, you know, those are huge constraints that we have right now. So kind of going back to, to one of the things that we were talking about with the evolution of the grid. The grid has to evolve to be able to adapt to the changing resource mix that we are all talking about right now. That decarbonization, that replacing of that 60% of that fossil generation, all of those things, electrification, on and on. The grid has to evolve in order to meet that. Building out transmission infrastructure is a lengthy process. I mean, it is... There are complexities to doing that that need support at the federal and local level to be able to do it at the pace and scale that we need to do. It is big, it is expensive, it is complicated. We absolutely need it for the energy transition. And then interconnection queues, as I referenced before. It's, you know, we have kind of come into this area where interconnection queue policies were designed for, not necessarily for you know, renewable resources coming you know, into them, and that rulemaking was largely designed for a much smaller volume of projects coming on. And again, keep in mind, whenever you were kind of bringing on just you know, a handful of new natural gas plants or anything else, and that was how interconnection queues worked, it's a very different thing than whenever you have you know, gigawatts of solar and wind and storage and everything else being incorporated in those policies, and a lot of times are, you know, are antiquated for what the demand is ultimately that we need to achieve. Fortunately, you know, groups have recognized this, and we've got rulemaking proceedings that are happening that are going to be able to advance that. But we need as much support as we possibly can because transmission infrastructure and interconnection queues are going to be something that we need to solve at a federal level, at a local level, at an RTO level. All of those need to come together for us to ultimately be able to you know, continue the growth trajectory that ultimately this, this industry is going to have. All right, so let's, let's focus back on you as a professional in this space. I want to know, and I think other people might be interested in hearing, what's the best career advice you've ever received? I think I, I, will, I will clean it up a little bit for your podcast listeners, but it was don't be afraid to do the grunt work because this is a lesson that, that I kind of learned, and I'm really I've kind of learned in, in multiple roles, but certainly I learned it a lot coming into the renewable industry is when I came in, because it was such an industry in its infancy, uh, and I was coming from a very large banking and finance background, right, where you've got infrastructure that's built out to support, and as you continue to rise through the ranks there, you know, doing the grunt work is not always something that's necessarily, you know, part of the job description. 
But then you come into growing companies like this and you recognize there's not, like we don't have an infrastructure built out as a company to do all of these things. So sometimes you just gotta roll your sleeves up and it might not be your job description, but you have to do it. Because if we wanna be successful together, and that's, for me, that was a huge learning experience. Not only one, because you understand how to really build a company in a way and say, these are all of the things that have to happen. The example, like wearing all the hats, right? You're, that's what you have to do. But in a big way, it's not just wearing a bunch of hats. It's, it's looking around and saying, somebody has to do this if we're gonna build the foundation of the company that we're gonna grow. And just because it's not necessarily in kind of my scope, I'm still gonna roll my sleeves up and do it. I'm still gonna have ownership over making sure that that happens. And sometimes that's the grunt work. That's the stuff that you don't necessarily wanna do. But not only does it mean that you're building a solid foundation, you're learning a ton too. And you're learning a lot of how all the pieces fit together and you're able to really have perspective on how different you know, functions in a company grow, how different roles ultimately need to be developed and grown inside of an, an organization. And so for me it was, you know, don't ever shy away from doing something that you, know, you might think is below you or not in your job description or anything else. Roll your sleeves up, do it, you'll be better for it at the end. Who inspires you? Two kind of two answers to that one. One, it sounds, I'm going to admit that it sounds a little bit cheesy, but I'm saying it anyway. It's all the people in this room who are part of our company. It's everybody who are in all of our breakout sessions for the podcast listeners. We have other employees in breakout sessions right now uh, doing you know, cross training as part of our, our academy week presentations. It's everybody here who comes in and works incredibly hard to make this happen. The challenges that we face today and the ones we're gonna face in the future are tremendous. And we have people who come in here and work tirelessly to overcome those challenges. And that inspires me that I can look out and say, from my role to, to looking into anyone else's, the ownership and the grit and the collaboration that our teams show together really is inspiring. It is inspiring to see them come together and solve problems that you know, as we continue to grow and as our industry continues to grow are you're very difficult to overcome and at times are incredibly frustrating because it's not you know a one-shot solution it's you have to try and fail and try and fail and try and fail and our teams have done a fantastic job of really making that a part of the culture and it's inspiring and then honestly what also inspires me is my family because i know what i'm doing when i come in here i know whenever i look at my kids or anyone else that they're what we're doing as a company as an industry is making literally the world a better place for them to grow up and raise their kids in and everything else. And so, yeah, that's the one thing you kind of have to presence yourself to when you're, you work at a company like Pine Gate, whenever you, you do this is we don't have normal jobs. Now we don't, we're not going into the widget factory and making more widgets and going home at night. We are solving big, complex, incredibly important problems that literally are going to impact the future of our planet. But you get lost in that whenever you, know, you have to go and format an Excel spreadsheet or put together a PowerPoint presentation or whatever else. But it is something that's worth stepping back and saying is the work that we do is so, so, so important that we're very lucky to do it, but the challenges are very big and it's very inspirational to see people come in here and solve them every day. That's a big burden to carry, knowing that you play a big role in changing the future of the planet. So. How do you as a person turn off and recharge to be able to come back in the next day and make a difference? Well, again, you know, referencing my, my family and my wife and my kids, you know, obviously going home, being with my family and you know, spending that time with them obviously recharges. And, you know, I love to 
fish and hike and camp and do all that other stuff. And we are in lovely Asheville, North Carolina, and there are you few places in the U.S. that are better to do all those things than where we sit today. There's clearly that. But I think it's almost on the other side of it, too, is to your point, this work is so challenging, and at times kind of the gravity of it can, can really be so much. You have to find excitement in doing it. You have to, you, know, you have to find ways that this shows up as being excited to solve problems with people who are as enthusiastic about solving those problems as you are. And as you're doing that, you know, the work itself can be very recharging in that you're, you know, again, we're a growing industry and not every industry is growing. That's what actually can be really exciting is we're, you know, we have a lot to do, but we're winning. You know, you referenced before is how we've got, you know, renewables are, you know, outpacing every other form of generation as capacity additions on the grid. And we're going to see that trend continue. So we've got, uh, we're moving in the right direction. We just got to keep moving a whole lot more down the path to do it. And so that's really inspiring. And the fact that we are, we are in an industry that's growing, we are in an industry that's very important, and we're in an industry that continues to see gains and progress. And that's actually really inspiring as well. What does your vision for the future look like and the problems that you might be solving five years down the road at Pine Gate Renewables? I mean, I, I think it, it really gets back to, you know, it's, it's a problem that we're solving at Pine Gate, but it's a problem we're solving, we're going to solve as an industry together. Um, because when we look at, we already referenced transmission infrastructure, which we need you know, massive investments in that and be able to build that out and scale that very rapidly. Um, we need interconnection queue reform and policies that ultimately are kind of are adapting to where that market environment goes. I think from a siting perspective, we have lots of challenges in front of us as an industry because ultimately as we continue to see more and more renewables get deployed, Citing those projects is going to continue to get more and more challenging, and those are going to be huge. And we, we you know, have you know, teams of people at Pinegate who are working on that right now and looking and saying, this is the evolving kind of landscape that we are going to be operating in whenever we continue to cite you know, larger projects, whenever solar has a bigger footprint in you know, states as we continue to grow them. It's when we're looking from a technology standpoint, Matt, you referenced you know, storage. Right now, you know, to say that the kind of renewables and solar specifically industry is in, you know, in the early stages, storage is way behind that, right? We're in a position where it's like, it, it, theoretically, yeah, sure, put a battery on everything, but yeah, you got to be able to actually make them and buy them, and that's a huge challenge right now. And so that technology and that industry has to mature at a really rapid pace to, to meet the demands that we've got, and we've seen kind of that pricing volatility, everything else that's really is, you know, is a product of the infancy of that market. And so it's, it's really saying, you know, we have to be aware that we are changing the electricity grid and we are changing in some instances, in some communities, we're changing the landscape of what they are accustomed to. And so being able to engage at a community level, be able to engage at a utility and an RTO level to understand the impacts that we're having on the grid able to engage you know at the federal level to do kind of more broad scale transmission planning everything else you know that's the future of where we have to go because we we have to really kind of embrace the kind of the shift that is going to happen in the grid and overcome all the challenges that are going to come with it and some of those are incredibly local and some of those span the entire country and that's, you know, that for me, that's kind of the outlook. It's, it's solving those problems as they get more and more complex. As, you know, renewable resources become 
have more penetration on the grid. How do we manage around that? As we are inevitably going to have you know, battery supply chain issues. How do we manage around that? It's just going to be solving those problems at an increasingly complex level. And that's really kind of my vision for the future. I am 100% confident that we have an industry and we have people who are in it who are going to be wildly successful in doing so. But these are complicated challenges and that's really what it is. It's, it's looking forward and saying, recognizing that shift and taking all of the incredibly talented and smart people in our industry to tackle those problems and be able to continue to you know, decarbonize our grid. For context on, on how quickly the industry is shifting, I saw a really good uh, like infographic a couple of weeks ago that showed an image of a computer 50 years ago, right? The size of an entire room. Now we're operating with little iPads like this. Picture of a, a, a phone from 50 years ago, right? Crazy how different that is compared to an iPhone. Then I saw a picture of the electricity grid from 100 years ago and then compare that to what it looks like today. Nothing has changed, right? It's the same. <laughs> it's the same. And, and we are, are totally transforming that in a period of years, right? Not decades, not centuries, years for an industry that's been around and has existed in a very similar fashion for over 100 years. So if that kind of puts things in context with how quickly and also the I think the challenge that we have in front of us, uh, but also I think it's really exciting knowing that we have the ability to really transform how the electricity sector has operated for over 100 years in this country. For Pinegate, how does Pinegate Renewables continue to lead the charge moving forward as an industry leader in the solar space? I, I think it's, it is having an innovative mindset. It is our teams looking for not necessarily what is true today, but what we think is going to be true in the future. Because keep in mind, when we're doing planning cycles, they are years in advance. And so we have to be able to very much anticipate where the industry, where markets are going. And so I think it's being an innovator in how we think renewables are going to get deployed on a regional level, because as we talked about, it's all going to be different depending on where it is. Um, it is being a thought leader, not you know just because we like to hear ourselves talk, but because we have a fantastic team here who can inform a lot of the evolution that we're going to need from a regulatory and policy and a market level perspective. And you know, I made this joke to everybody earlier today, but you know, there's not a world where Pinegate builds everything. And so we need everyone, we need everyone in this industry coming along with us as, you know, I think that it's one of the interesting characteristics about our industry is we are, I mean, you know, if we're you know, Coca-Cola and Pepsi, that's a pretty you know, binary equation when it comes to how those two companies are going to interact with one another, right? They're taking market share from one another and they're you know, trying to kind of defend their you know, whatever customer base. We don't have an industry like that. We are as much allies with our competitors as we are in competition with them. Certainly we're always gonna have, you know, fires finding good land position and all of these other things because we wanna continue to grow our commercial model but so often we are kind of shoulder to shoulder with other folks who are doing the exact same thing in our markets. And what we're not trying to do is, you know, all compete for market share. What we're doing is saying there is a tremendous opportunity. And if we're all aligned and even kind of with the work that you all do at the NCSEA, it's bringing those companies together for advocacy for the overall goal of what we're trying to do. And so that's, you know, for me, that's a huge piece. It's how is, our, how is Pinegate? How is Pinegate having a voice in those rooms? Not just because Pinegate wants policies that are favorable to Pinegate, 
but because Pinegate wants policies that are favorable to the industry. And then how are we able to bring everyone together? And that for me is, is really for Pinegate, how we can have that impact and, and you know, as we already have that influence but continue to have more and more of that influence, that's, that's critically important. It is very, very important. Um, and I, I, I talked about this a little bit yesterday, the importance of collaboration within the industry. And that's part of the role that our organization plays is bringing parties together across the solar industry, across customer base, right? Bringing corporations into the room, municipalities, universities, to talk about some of the challenges that they're experiencing, right? We've, we've got a number of programs here in North Carolina, like Green Source Advantage and Competitive Procurement, which have been a real challenge, but we're working on trying to address some of the solutions for those, and that's not done in a silo. Those are things that we have open conversations and dialogues with many partners like Pinegate to figure out what path forward we can take to ensure we have the best solutions available for customers like for example, a Microsoft or an Apple who has 100% renewable energy procurement goals but doesn't have a real pathway to achieving those goals in the next couple of years. So it's really important that we open the doors and have as many partners in the room to collaborate and figure out those solutions. All right, so to end on a really positive note, what excites you the most about the future of Pinegate Renewables? Um, I mean, it's kind of a you know, canned answer, but it's, it's where this organization can get from a capability standpoint in the future. I think that it is inevitable that we are going to continue to build more and more solar facilities. We are going to have a bigger footprint. We are going to be more successful. We'll have a bigger operating portfolio, development portfolio, all of these things. That we have great people here who are growing those things. But it's for me, it's what we can do. It's the capabilities of the company, and it's how as we are sitting here at this event, as we are, you know, people are train are getting training in things that are not core to their job, but they're doing it because it's going to make them better, it's going to make their teams better, and it's going to make all of us better. Because that's as I'm talking about, kind of going back and looking at my notes from two, three, four years ago. A lot of that is looking and saying how much better have we gotten as an organization over time? How much more sophisticated? How much more, you know, organized from a data and from a systems and processes standpoint have we gotten? It's how. It's really, what gets me excited about it is where we can be in the future and ultimately what we're going to be capable of. That gets me, I mean, to me, that's the exciting part of building this. Well, I, I, for one, am leaving this conversation feeling really inspired about the future of the solar industry, the clean energy industry, and for the future of Pinegate Renewables. And again, I'm really proud that we have Pinegate Renewables right here in our backyard in North Carolina and that you all are a very active participant in a lot of the work that we're doing at NCSEA. It really makes a difference in helping to continue to advance the market. So Ben, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast. Great, thanks Matt. In lieu of a key takeaway from today's episode, I wanna reiterate how grateful I feel every single day to work in an industry with such dedicated, talented, and passionate people. Every single day, I have the opportunity to grow and learn from our network of energy professionals shaping the grid of tomorrow. And you know the deal. Let's stay in touch on Twitter. Give me a shout, at Matt Abel, for future episode ideas, questions for our next episode, thoughts on today's episode, and your worst energy joke one-liners. And episode 86 of the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast is in the books. But before you leave... Don't forget to rate, subscribe, and share the pod on whatever platform you're listening in from. Sharing this podcast with your network and growing the friends of the pod helps us get just a little bit closer to our shared vision of a clean energy economy for North Carolina. All right, that's it. See you all later.